What's up, y'all? It's your boy Ace. This is Fantasize Football. We are back once again, bringing y'all some more fantasy football content for the 2021 fantasy football season. And I'm here today to ruffle some feathers. That's what I'm here to do. Because today, I'm talking about some players that I think have a lot of bust potential for fantasy football in 2021. But before we get into the nitty gritty, me and my boy back here, we want to say what's up. You know, thank you. Thank you so much for coming by, showing your boy a little love and support, helping the channel grow, giving me a little bit of your time. Honest to God, it really means the world to me, though. And if you're new, thank you for giving me an opportunity. Thank you for giving me a little bit of your time. I really hope you enjoy the video. And if you do, make sure to drop a like, leave a comment, and subscribe to the channel. Help the channel grow. Help me reach my goal of 200 subscribers on YouTube by the end of the fantasy football season. Check the description down below for the links to the podcast, the links to my socials. Follow me on there. Check out the pod. Leave a five-star review if you don't mind. I really appreciate it. If you listen to podcasts, hop on over to YouTube and subscribe. But without further ado, let's get into what we're talking about today. And that's the players, one player at each position that I think has the most bust potential. Does this mean that I think these players are going to be bust? Not necessarily. Kind of, but not necessarily. It just means that they have a wide range of outcomes, right? And there's... A lot of upside, but there's also a whole lot of downside. So I wanted to just give this information to y'all. You do with it what you want. Do with it what you will, right? You make the decisions for yourself, but I just wanted to put all this stuff out here. So let's get into it. Let's talk about the first guy, and that is going to be the quarterback. And the guy we are talking about is Dak Prescott of the Dallas Cowboys, currently quarterback five on Fantasy Pros ADP, coming off the board 44th overall. Now, obviously Dak is coming off of that horrific ankle injury, right? It's very sad and it's very it's very cool to see though that he's coming back and he's ready to go for the season. So I didn't want to put him on here, but I felt like I kind of had to because you have to figure that with that ankle injury that could limit the rushing upside for Dak. And obviously that is a very big part of Dak's game, right? If the upside is limited in terms of the rushing game, that is going to hurt his fantasy production. On top of that, I do expect the Cowboys to be a more competent offense this season. Hopefully, have a more competent defense as well, right? The line is back together, right? The line is healthy, good to go, and obviously Dak's there too. You have CeeDee Lamb coming into his second year. You have Amari Cooper. You got Michael Gallup. Blake Jarwin's back and healthy. Hopefully, Zeke is ready to step up to the plate again. And if that's the case and they're winning games, they're more positive game scripts, then they may not be throwing the ball as frequently. And if the pass volume's down and Dak's rush volume's down, you do the math. Probably not the best thing for fantasy football, right? Now, outside of 2019, right, where the Cowboys threw the ball 596 times, Dak has never exceeded 524 pass attempts, 3,900 yards, or 23 passing touchdowns. It's not very good. And when the rushing upside might not be there, that's going to hurt, especially when you're spending a fourth, fifth round pick on Dak Prescott. And if you take his career highs in terms of passing and you use like kind of a discounted rushing floor for Dak, this is what you come up with, right? First, let's look at the rushing, right? 2016 to 2018, Dak averaged 63 carries for 315 yards and six touchdowns. Let's just cut that in half. Let's assume the coaching staff says, hey, listen, we don't want you going out there, breaking out of the pocket, running the ball when you don't have to. 
We just don't want you to do that. You're a franchise quarterback. We don't want to risk you getting hurt. Or maybe Dak's even like, hey, man, you know, maybe I shouldn't do this as much. I, I got to protect myself. Let's assume it gets cut in half. That is going to be 32 carries for 158 yards and three touchdowns, right? And then you take his career highs in all these areas in passing in yards, touchdowns, and when then we'll use his career average in tu- at, of interceptions of eight interceptions, right? Career high of 3,885 yards in 2018, 23 touchdowns in 2016, and then those eight interceptions, right? This is all based on 16 games too. I didn't repace it out. I'm just using 16 games because what matters is the points per game. 19.2 fantasy points per game. When you look at that in terms of the past three years, 2020, that's the quarterback 12. All quarterbacks that played six or more games. 2019, QB9. 2018, QB11. No worse than QB12. No better than QB9. And if you're drafting Dak as the QB5 in the fourth, fifth round, you're expecting positional advantage, right? That's what you're going for with getting Dak there. A guy that you know is going to give you a, a relatively high ceiling week in and week out and a safe floor. And I just think personally, as much as I love Dak and I, I, and I will be drafting Dak if his ADP falls a little bit, if he slips to me somewhere, I'm not completely off the train, but his current ADP, it's just like there's guys I would rather draft around and maybe spend a... a, a a pick around earlier, a couple picks earlier, whatever it may be, or reach on another guy a little bit. You know, for me, I'm not the type to draft quarterbacks early a lot anyways, but if you are that type of cat, I would suggest looking elsewhere instead of Dak because there is a lot of risk. If the rushing upside kind of goes away, this team is better and they're not throwing the ball as frequently. Dak could be a very risky player, and that's why I think he has bust potential for fantasy football in 2021. Now, hold on. Just give me a second, please. You ready to get lit the fuck up in the comments for this one? All right. Here we go. It's time to really start ruffling them damn feathers there, my birdies. Y'all, my birdies there at home. I'm really going to be ruffling them feathers, baby. All right, listen. Running back. I'm just going to say it. Jonathan Taylor. Indianapolis Colts. Running back six. Sixth overall in fantasy pros, half PPR, ADP. I know. He's a very talented player. Don't get me wrong. He has the upside to finish top three at the position. He had a fantastic finish to the season last year. When you look at it, weeks 10 through 16, missed week 11 due to COVID. 119 carries, 741 yards, seven touchdowns, and 16 targets, 14 catches, 96 yards and one touchdown on a 17 game pace it's like over 2,000 yards almost 20 touchdowns it's insane right and i don't want to take too much away from him because it was really really phenomenal especially when he kind of struggled a little bit early on it was nice to see him get the hang of things right but when you look a little deeper and you look at the teams he was playing against in terms of rush yards allowed in terms of rush defense you have green bay 20th above average pretty good right you had houston the worst the most rushing yards allowed in the league. Then you had the Raiders, the ninth most. Then you had Houston again. Do I have to remind you? The fucking most for Houston. Then you had Pittsburgh, right? Pittsburgh, 22nd, above average, again, like the Packers, right around that same range as the Packers. But he had two touchdowns that game. And touchdowns are kind of hard to predict. We always talk about how touchdowns are the most unpredictive stat, right? If he didn't have those two touchdowns, he wouldn't have had a very good game. And then the Jaguars, the third worst rush defense in the league. 
So when you really look at it, four out of the six teams he played against were bottom 10 in terms of rushing defense, and three of them were bottom three, two of which were Houston, literally the worst in the league. So I don't want to take too much away from him, but I guess I'm taking a little bit too much away from him, aren't I? Take it with a grain of salt. It was a very small sample size, too. He's probably going to be playing against stiffer competition for the most part this season, although he does have a good strength of schedule. The other things that kind of concern me about Jonathan Taylor are, for one, Frank Reich and Frank Reich's history as a coach. He was an OC for the Chargers from 2014 to 2015, an OC for the Eagles from 16 to 2017. He's been the coach for the Colts ever since. Let's look at what's happened in those years with the Chargers. 2014, 358 running back attempts, a high of 160 attempts for one running back, right? Then 2015, 372 attempts, a high of 184 attempts. He moves over to the Eagles, 2016, 381 running back attempts, a high of 155. His second year with the Eagles, 395 running back attempts, a high of 173. Then with the Colts, 2018, 348 running back attempts, a high of 195. 2020, 300, I'm sorry, 2019, 399 running back attempts, a high of 247. Then last year, 415 attempts, a whole shit ton, and Jonathan Taylor led the charge with 232, right? Great. Jonathan Taylor was one of the two players in the seven years of uh, Frank Reich as an OC or a head coach to go over 200 carries. Only two players have done that, but there was only one player that went over 60% of the running back carries. Do you know who that was? Do you want to take a guess? Marlon fucking Mack. Guess what the Colts did this offseason? They re-signed Marlon Mack. Now, don't get me wrong. I am not saying that Marlon Mack is just going to all of a sudden come in and take over for Jonathan Taylor. But clearly, the Colts like him. They went out and re-signed him. They could have just let him walk. They had no obligations to him. They could have just let him walk, but they brought him back. So clearly they do have a role for him. And obviously he's coming off a torn Achilles. He might be junk. He might have nothing left in the tank and just get played completely off the field. But at least to start the season, they're going to want to use him, right? So if Marlon Mack's getting 7 to 10 carries a game or 7 to 9 carries a game, getting 100, 150 carries, and um, Naeem Hines is getting 50 or 60 carries and he's getting his work in the passing game, and then Jordan Wilkins is getting 20 or 30 carries and they run the ball 400 times, that's like over 200 carries right there right between those guys or close to 200 carries so i don't think that marlon Mack's going to take over i think jonathan taylor is going to be the lead back do not get me wrong there i absolutely do i just don't know if the ceiling's there for 300 total touches for jonathan taylor because naeem hines is going to get his in the passing game and then marlon Mack is going to be involved as well at least early on in the season on top of that the third reason that jonathan taylor kind of scares me at his current adp is you have carson wentz there right and I believe in Carson Wentz. I think Carson Wentz will be just fine. But what if Carson Wentz is really washed and he just fucking sucks, right? And he's terrible. And the Colts can't move the ball down the field. And they can't get in scoring positions. And they're in game scripts where they have to throw the ball a lot, where Naeem Hines is out there and getting more playing time. Now Jonathan Taylor's in a really rough spot, right? So don't get me wrong. At RB6, I think Jonathan Taylor has the upside to finish top three, but I also think it's within the range of outcomes that he finishes outside of the top 12. And I will still draft Jonathan Taylor in the first round. Do not get me wrong, but I like him more as like the RB10, right? I like Zeke more in half PPR. I like Aaron Jones more. I like Nick Chubb more. I even would debate with like Austin Eckler, you know, 
uh, in half PPR where catches count. But at the RB6 price that you have to pay to get Jonathan Taylor, there's just so, so, so much risk. And I'd rather go with a safer option. And that is kind of why all those reasons are why I think Jonathan Taylor, unfortunately, does have bust potential in 2021. Don't light me up too hot in the comments, please. Um, take it with a grain of salt, right? I still love Jonathan Taylor, just not as the RB6. Now, moving on to a wide receiver, to the third person we have to talk about, the third player we have to talk about. And I'm leading the fucking hate train, apparently, for this guy. I just, I can't, man. It's Mike Evans of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Currently, the wide receiver 13, 39th overall. Come on. Come on. Come on. It just scares me, man. Last season, Mike Evans had the lowest target share of his entire career. His lowest target total of his entire career, I should say, at 109 targets. And what happened, right? Godwin was hurt. Antonio Brown wasn't there most of the year. Now Godwin's back and healthy, ready to go. Antonio Brown's going to be there for the full season. I can't see a scenario where he gets more volume on top of that you got Gio Bernard brought into the mix we know that Tom Brady essentially runs this team once Gio Bernard was a free agent Tom Brady said I want him go get him go get him I want my pass catching running back Fournette Rojo they weren't cutting it he's got a history with guys like James White with guys like Danny Woodhead Kevin Falk right now you have Gio Bernard in the mix so that's another guy, another mouth to be fed. It's not like Rojo and Leonard Fournette are just going to disappear. Then you've got a myriad of other guys, and we know Brady likes to spread the ball around. Obviously, he did have a connection with Mike Evans, but Chris Godwin's elite. He loves Antonio Brown, too. He's going to spread the ball around. And the reason why Mike Evans was able to finish as the wide receiver 13 last season, which is where he was being drafted this season, is because he scored 13 touchdowns. Mike Evans has a career 6% touchdown rate. Last season, he had a 10 point fucking 7% touchdown rate. Nearly doubled his career average in terms of touchdown rate. And just food for thought, right? Just food for thought. If Mike Evans got those same 109 targets he got last season on a 6% target touchdown rate, or even close to, give him a little bump even, like 6.5%, that's 7 touchdowns, right? If you gave him the same stat line as he put up last season, which was 70 catches, 1,006 yards with seven touchdowns, all of a sudden he goes from being the wide receiver 13 to the wide receiver 33 in points per game and half PPR tied with Cole Beasley. Would you draft Cole Beasley where you're drafting Mike Evans? Of course you fucking wouldn't, right? And don't get me wrong, right? Again, there is upside there, but I just don't see the avenue where Mike Evans pays off a wide wide receiver 13 price. is The volume is not going to be there, right? If he gets 109 targets in 17 games instead of 16 this season, then I'd be, that, that'd be crazy. If he got 110, 120 targets, that'd be insane. The only way he's going to pay off that price is if he, he matches what he did in terms of a touchdown rate he gets more volume or he's more efficient. And Mike Evans has already been hyper-efficient throughout his entire career. So I just can't see that happening. So I'm fading Mike Evans. I'm good on Mike Evans. This is the guy out of everyone. I've talked about it before. I'm sorry for all the Mike Evans lovers out there. I'm just not drafting Mike Evans. 
right? I look at him more as like a back-end wide receiver too. There's upside there. Same with Godwin. I'm not as high on Godwin. If anything, in full PPR, I like Godwin a lot better. If there's any guy that I'm drafting in this offense, it's Antonio Brown in the ninth, 10th round because I think he could out-target the both of them possibly. It's within the range of outcomes. Brady is going to spread the ball around. Just be wary if you are drafting Mike Evans that he needs to maintain that touchdown rate or get somehow get a significant increase in volume with Godwin and Antonio Brown in the mix this season in order to pay off that draft price, right? The feathers are ruffled once again. But listen, we're moving on to the last player, to the last position. That is the tight end position. And I'm here once again to really piss some people off. Kyle Pitts, Atlanta Falcons, tight end six, 66 overall in fantasy pros, half PPR ADP. And the ADP is rising day in and day out. Underdog fantasy, best ball drafts. You see it all the time. He'll go in like the fourth round. And maybe that's just because in best ball, you're looking for upside and whatnot, right? But I expect that with training camp, when that comes around and reports start coming about Kyle Pitts, he's going to move up. He'll probably move up above Mark Andrews and TJ Hawkinson. I'm already seeing it happening somewhere. And I would never, never, ever, not me, nope, no sir, no sir, Bob Reed. The ADP is rising and historically tight ends just aren't very productive for fantasy football. Now, Kyle Pitts 100% absolutely could be the exception to that rule. He's a phenomenal athlete. He's basically a wide receiver playing the tight end position, right? But if he doesn't pay off and he's not a difference maker on your team, you're passing up on guys like Brandon Ayuk at 69th overall, who I'm not huge on, but I know a lot of people love. Chase Claypool at 70, 71 overall, a guy that I like. And then T. Higgins, a guy I absolutely love at 73rd overall. So you're passing up on all those guys to get Kyle Pitts. And food for thought, the best rookie tight end season in recent memory was Evan Engram. He had 115 targets, 64 catches, 722 yards, and six touchdowns. He also averaged uh, added one carry for 14 yards. That was 141.6 half PPR fantasy points, 8.85 fantasy points per game. Last season was not a great year for the tight end position, and that would have been the tight end nine in points per game. Now, what if he's Evan Engram? We'd still be like, oh, wow. That's really good. But in 17 games, so the stats are a little better. He breaks all the records, right? He breaks all the records at 17 games. But points per game, he's like eight and a half, nine points per game in fantasy. And you drafted him in the sixth round, right? When you could have got a guy in the 10th round, or the, the eighth, ninth, 10th round, maybe even 11th round that would have got you seven, seven and a half a game. There's no point in drafting Pitts at that point, right? You would need him to significantly exceed what has historically been the case for rookie tight ends in order for him to pay off his draft price. And it is within the range of outcomes. There's a whole lot of upside here, but if it doesn't pay off, then you could have got a guy in the double-digit rounds or even off waivers that's going to be a point, point and a half per game difference, and that's not what you're looking for with a tight end in the middle rounds. You're looking for a guy that could potentially be a difference maker, which he could potentially be. Don't get me wrong. I shouldn't get too far ahead of myself, but the range of outcomes, again, is very wide. On top of that, don't forget, Hayden Hurst is still here. He got 88 targets last season. We have Arthur Smith here. Arthur Smith, historically, with Tennessee, ran a lot of two tight end sets. Hayden Hurst isn't just going away, right? So, with, with this in mind, with 
the question mark of if he'll really be a difference maker on your roster with the players you can get around where Kyle Pitts is going. If you want to get a tight end that's going to be a safe kind of, this is my guy, week in and week out, I don't have to worry about it, go with Hawkinson. Go with Mark Andrews. Kyle Pitts is very, very risky, and the guys going around him are very, very good. So do not miss out on them. If you really love Kyle Pitts and you want to go for the upside, go for it. I'll probably have him in at least one league, but if he goes up to the fourth round, ahead of Hawkinson, Mark Andrews, I will have nothing. At his current ADP, I'm scared. At the fourth round, I'm fucking horrified. But that's the list, right? I probably pissed some of you guys off, but I'm sorry. I really hope you enjoyed the video. Take it all with a grain of salt. Make the decisions for yourself. I'm just giving you some information. Do what you want with it. I hope you enjoyed the video. If you did, leave a like, drop a comment. Let me know down below. Do you agree with me? Do you disagree with me? Do you think these guys have bust potential? Who do you think has bust potential for fantasy football in 2021? Let me know videos you want to see, players you want to hear me talk about, all that good shit. Talk to me. I want to learn, y'all. I want to build a real community where everyone can be comfortable and have some fun because I'm having a fucking blast and you guys are helping me follow my dreams, right? So subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Help me reach my goal of 200 subscribers on YouTube by the end of the fantasy football season. That'd be so, so very sick. If you're listening to podcasts, hop on over to YouTube and subscribe. If you're listening on YouTube, you're watching on YouTube, hop on over to your favorite podcast platform. Leave a great review so that we can get my content, our content, our team, our family seen by more people and continue to grow it, right? Help fantasize football hit the moon, baby. I'd really appreciate it. But that's it. That's all. That's all there is. I'm done for today. I hope y'all enjoyed. Like I mentioned, if you did, like, comment, share, subscribe, all that good shit. And I will catch y'all next time. Me, my boy, we're out. And as always, thank you. Love you. Peace.